Beautiful. All right. So today on the Finance and Property Survival Guide, I'm talking to Scott Phillips. Scott Phillips is from Motley Fool. How are you? G'day, Damien. I'm very well, mate. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be with yeah, you. I appreciate it. We were saying just before how uh, on brand, I guess, the brand uh, dedication to the Coca-Cola t-shirt and the, the, <laughs> exactly, the Coke mate. Zero drink. Um, Not only that, but the uh, part of the t-shirt you can't see actually has a Berkshire Hathaway company below it. So uh, I'm a Berkshire Hathaway shareholder fans and, and, and shareholder. So it's uh, completely on brand for me. 100%. you got to represent what you, you, you're invested in, right? There is that. There is that. <laughs> um, I guess if we could start with a brief intro, if you could just tell mm-hmm. us who you are, your background in finance and how you ended up with mm-hmm. Motley Fool. Totally, mate. I'll try and give you the short version. So I'm Scott Phillips. I'm the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer here in Australia. Um, I've been with the Motley Fool now for a decade, uh, a decade and a half, a decade, 10, 10 years and six months, 10 and a half years. Um, and I have done almost everything at the Motley Fool at some point or another. Um, as I said, currently Chief Investment Officer. I did a short scene as our General Manager uh, when our then GM went off to do a different project, uh, still within the business, but then came back to the role. Uh, I've been a director of research. I'm a, a lead advisor and portfolio manager on a couple of our services. Um, I do most of our media, uh, including this one. Um, mm. So that's me now. Uh, I said, I've been at The Fool for 10 years. I was an analyst and an advisor, as I said, right through. Prior to that, my background is not very conventional and for, for, a, for an investor. And that's probably a relatively common hallmark of The Motley Fool, but not most other places. Uh, I joined The Motley Fool as a freelance writer originally, and I used to work in uh, fast-moving consumer goods, consumer packaged goods, call them what you want. Think about food and beverage brands. So I worked for, right. for Heinz, for Diageo, the alcohol company, 20th Century Fox. I worked for Blackmore's, uh, Goodman Fielder for a short time. So my background is food and beverage. And I was in sort of sales marketing and then trade marketing roles and then commercial finance roles. And I guess that's the linkage in terms of background is I was analyzing businesses from the inside. Now I analyze them from the outside. Uh, and right. it turns out that speaking of being on brand, Warren Buffett's uh, you know, line that he's a better businessman because he's an investor and a better investor because he's a businessman is kind of exactly how I would explain and define my career. I didn't do, I, you know, I didn't work for a stockbroker or an investment bank or a merchant bank or any of that stuff. I literally right. just got into investing personally, privately, loved it, learned as much as I could. Yeah. Uh, and that just ended up, end up parlaying through a couple of different uh, sliding door circumstances. And yeah. uh, here I am 10 years later. Yeah, I, I wonder if you could quickly explain a bit more what your what you sort of have to do now with analyzing businesses. If if you can sort of explain what that might entail. Wow, that's I mean that's a, I can I can talk another fifty five minutes or all yeah. five minutes on this one. Um, yeah. So look, our you know so as a professional investor, if I can use that phrase, I don't really love it, but to separate, you know, I get paid for doing this rather than someone who does it, uh, you know, nights and weekends. Yeah. Um, my job is actually no different to everyone else, every other investor, or at least the vast majority of other investors. The the very simple reality is you can get the share market's return less a very, very, very small fee by buying an index-based exchange traded fund. And we're getting into jargon territory already, but I'll, yeah. I'll assume either your listeners know it or you can ask me to clarify this stuff. So you can yeah, buy sure. the market, right? As, a, as In one transaction, go fishing, go shopping, go back to work. If you want to pick individual stocks, you're in theory doing it because you have different goals. And hopefully those goals for most people are they want to do better than the average. So that's... That's when you get into stock picking, right? So I'm here to to try and find companies that are going to give me a better result than if I just bought the the average anyway. Because I can buy the average on the market really cheaply and easily. If I can't beat the average, I should buy the average because there's no point doing it if you're not gonna not gonna do better than average. And so the the job then falls to to your question, trying to find those businesses that are likely to 
be market beating investments. And that, to, to, to your question, that's exactly what the, the analysis piece is. And that is a combination of business model analysis and some limited amounts of valuation work. I don't do a heap of valuation work. Um, I used to in the old days. That probably means I can kind of shortcut some of it. But my, my focus is very much on long-term businesses that I expect to win uh, over, over extended periods of time. And then as long as the price is reasonable, investing in those businesses. And so that's right. kind of, you know, when we ask about business analysis, my, my day job when I'm not doing things like this uh, is, to, is to literally, you know, scour the ASX and try and find those companies that I think have a better than average chance of delivering a better than average result. And it's really important to say, and I won't go too far down this rabbit hole, but it's important to say that I get it wrong a lot. And most people don't say that, won't say that because it's kind of bad for your career. What, what most investors miss because most people don't talk about it is, you know, Peter Lynch was a famed US fund manager who used to say, if you're good in this game, you're right six times out of 10. Right. And so what's really important is to build a portfolio that beats the market because not every right. company can beat the market by definition. And you're going to be wrong sometimes. Bad luck, bad management, fraud, frankly, it's bad analysis. Um, but the job is to build a portfolio of companies or, or in our case, some of our services are scorecard full of companies mm -hmm. that on average are market beaters and then encourage our members to be diversified and make sure they get the representative results by buying a, a range of those companies that we recommend. Right. And we'll circle back. Or I, yeah, yeah, it did. No, 100%. And, <laughs> okay, good, um, good, good. I was, I was really happy that you were, you were keen to sit down because I thought you'd be a great person to help sort of explain i i've started investing over the last year or so but yeah, like a, a, a lot of people my age don't understand a lot of the terminology and i myself yeah. don't completely understand it so awesome. real quickly etfs yeah. can i yes. give you what i think an etf is and then you tell me how right i am and, I and it, it might yeah, yeah so, Let's do it. so the way i understand an etf is an etf might be choosing a bunch of companies to invest in, let's say 50 mm -hmm. companies. So you might mm -hmm. invest $1,000 into an ETF that invests that money into those 50 companies. And then if 48 of those companies go okay and two of them go terribly, your risk mm -hmm. profile is fairly low because you've got 48 that are getting a good return, let's say average 1% to 2% year on year. So if I invest $1,000, that's going to grow 2% on top of that. And that's where compounding interest comes in. I wish this was a video podcast because I'm using my hands a lot right now. But <laughs> my hands are going. Exactly. Yeah, so, so is that sort of how an ETF works or am I a bit off? So yes, you're absolutely right. Um, it's, it, I'll try and break down a little bit more. So you're, you're bang yeah. on. I might just fill in some, some extra bits. So the first thing is an ETF, it stands for exchange traded fund. And exchange traded literally just means you can buy a sell on the ASX. So Australian Stock Exchange, exchange traded. In the yeah. old days, a fund, you had to send a check to a fund manager. And then when you wanted your money back, they'd send you a check back. These are listed on the ASX, so you can buy and sell them like shares. So that's the exchange trade a bit. The fund bid, as you rightly say, is exactly that. It's a group of companies put together under some sort of loose or tight rules. And then you know what you're going to buy. Now, the very, very best ETFs, in my view, are what they call passive ETFs. So an exchange-traded fund like the Vanguard ASX 300 ETF is literally just tracking the ASX 300. Mm. They will give you effectively the entire market return. When you look at the, the market updates on the news on, on you know, a weeknight, yeah. and they say the ASX is up you know, 0.2% today, 
you'll increase your portfolio by 0.2%. You're getting the return of the index. That's exactly what that ETF is designed to do. Other ETFs don't have to be passive. In other words, they can be managers like people like me who are saying, I'm going to go and pick those 50 stocks, as you rightly say, Damien, and find the best 50 I can find. They've been active ETF because I'm actively stock picking, mm. whereas a passive ETF just says, I'm going, to, I'm going to mirror the index. I'm going to mirror the ASX 200 or the ASX 300, and I'm going to give you that return. And so for me, the broad-based index ETF are super cheap. The, the management fees are tiny, 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 and you get the market return. So for mm. most people, if people are listening to you right now, they're like, I, my job is to pick stocks, right? So I want people to join my services. But realistically, if they don't, that's cool. Um, but I would encourage at least everyone to, if you're not going to pick stocks, that's cool. Buy an index tracking ETF like a Vanguard ASX 300 and just get the market return. Because to your point, the market over the last 30 years has compounded about 9% per year. That mm. means your money doubles every eight years. If you take a 30-year period, that means it's doubled four times, right? Let's do the maths. 100 becomes 200, 400, 800, 1600 bucks from 100 just by buying the index and doing nothing sure. for 30 years. That's the power, sure. as you say, of compounding. Um, so that's the very basic ETF. But as I said, ETFs now are much broader. Mm. Anyone can start an ETF and, and try and sell it to some investors by saying, here's what I am, here's what I'm going to try and do. And it can be uh, an, e an electronic vehicles ETF or it can be a gold ETF. It can be a mining ETF or a tech ETF. So you can have anything you want that's the exchange traded fund bit. The ones I most prefer are those passive index tracking ones that just give you the market return. Okay. I've got a couple of questions coming from that. Um, one is sort awesome. of about investing on a whole. Were you someone that growing up at, in your teenage years, you were, you were um, exposed to investing and what, the, what investing can do for you in the long run, creating wealth, I guess. Was that something that was introduced to you at a young age or did you get into it in your adult years? Like what was the catalyst for you to care about investing in the first place? Yeah, this is an awesome question. So yes and no. Um, I grew up in a family that didn't invest. Um, my mum was a nurse. My old man was a fiery. Um, and, you know, it, it wasn't easy always having a, a lot of money left over at the end of the end of pay period. Um, so there was that. But also to the stock market had and frankly still has a reputation among some people who don't understand it well enough as being a casino. And frankly, mm -hmm. some investors do use it as a casino. So I'm not going to tell people that they're wrong when they think that, yeah. at least in part, right? What I'm going to say is, imagine you are at a, at a marketplace where over in one corner, they're acting like a casino. Over in the other corner, they're acting like business owners. It's mm -hmm. the same market, depends how you use it. So my old man thought the, AS, the stock market was a casino. And I don't blame him for thinking that because he was never taught otherwise. And frankly, if you'll only watch the headlines and hear all the scandals and, and the share price go up, down, up, down, up, sure. down, what the hell's going on? I get why people go, this is a casino. So no one at home. At school, I was very, very lucky. I had a year, eight or nine maths teacher, Mr. Moyer, who introduced us to compounding. And a light went on then. And it was one of those things where he says, look, if you save $1,000 a year between 18 and 30, you'll have X dollars by retirement kind of conversation. It's like, man, really? You think about that, go, wow, that's amazing. So that was one little kernel of, of future kind of, you know, um, seed to sprout. The other one was Mr. Barnett, my economics teacher, who similarly used to take us through the, and now this is this will date me, I mean, you're not quite as old as me. Um, the, in the old days before the internet, there was a time before the internet for your listeners. And back in that day, the only, time, only place you get share information was the newspaper. So yeah. we would literally get the SMH, the Sydney Morning Herald, where I was in Sydney, so it could have been the Age or the Courier or something else. You go to the middle page pages and you would get the stock market tables and you'd go from, you know, advanced bank back in the day through to BHP, through to Commonwealth Bank, through to, you know, right. whatever, whatever you went through. And that was the only place you found them. But we would sit down as a class and go through each of the columns, right? You know, what does the, what does the share price mean? What does market capitalization mean? What does dividend yield? What's the price earnings ratio? So we mm. kind of did all that. So I, was, I kind of got exposed to it that way. Um, and that was really kind of it. And then I think 
I, I loved commerce, loved economics. I did a commerce degree. And so I kind of got business and I kind of got investing. So I didn't really have a, a light bulb moment, but I drifted into trying to save some money. I opened up a, a, a you know, a Comsec account back in 1997, 98 or something like that. Um, and started investing then just because I felt like I should, or it was, it was a good thing to do. Uh, and that was kind of how I just got started. And then I eventually found the Motley Fool, funnily enough, as a, as a reader, I, I wasn't on, this was back in the nineties, um, hmm. long before I joined the company, but you know, so to some degree that was just my, again, sliding doors journey into investing. Another thing I wanted to ask is what barriers do you think exist today that are stopping young people from getting into investing? Great question. There are two types of barriers to my mind. There are behavioral barriers and there are informational barriers. <clears throat> I'll tell you the first one, the second one first. The informational barriers that most young people, I think, try, it's like my old man, right? Who, without being told or educated by someone who else who knew more about it, we didn't come from a family with money. Um, and so there was no one in our, in our family to kind of say, hey, this is investing, this is what it does. And had I not done economics at school, I may not have got the same education either. And so, when you think about are oh, the markets a casino or you know, such such went broke or how would I possibly be able to know what companies to buy or how do I get onto the market or simple things like, you know, what is it, what does a share price actually mean? How do I know if it's good or bad? How do I know if a price earnings ratio is high or low? It's, it's not super, super difficult, but it requires some education, some information. It's just not readily available in an easy to digest format. So hmm. that's the informational piece. <clears throat> Behaviorally make quite honestly um, a bit of a tough love it's really hard for young people to think about 65, being 65 or 67. It just is really yeah. hard. So I, I use that example of year eight. Now, in, 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 the, in the perfect version of this story, I got a newspaper route when I was eight, when I was in year eight, sorry, and I put away $100 a year and now I'm a squillionaire and I'm living in a boat in the Bahamas. Really, honestly, even though I started investing when I was probably 23, 24, I didn't really start saving serious amounts of money in my investing account until my late 20s. So I gave up what was effectively... 12, 13 years. And I talk about those doublings, right? That 12 or 13 years probably is going to cost me in retirement maybe six, seven figures because I didn't start early enough. You know, the extra 12 years I could have got a compounding at the back end of my career had I started at 15 rather than 27. Um, you know, if you can double your money again one more time, you know, at 67, yeah. whatever you're going to get at retirement, if you can double it again just by having started earlier, that that is more powerful than anything I can help people with. So behaviorally, the hard thing is, being able to say, well, I want to travel. I want to buy the jeans. I want to, I want to buy the laptop. I want to do this. I want to do that. It's just way too hard to think, how on earth is $100 now going to help me when I'm 67? The answer is, it's going to make you stupidly rich. Yeah. But it's really, really hard when you're, when you're not close enough to that age group. Our brains just aren't evolved to do this well. We're just not very good at it. Like, and it's not a criticism of those people because I was that person. I don't even criticize myself necessarily because our brains just aren't wired to think 50 years into the future or 40 years into the sure. future. We're yeah. not very good at it. We're, we're used to, you know, we evolved to to worry about the next meal or the next lion or whatever. Thinking mm. about, man, could I put some rocks aside now for when I'm 67? It's just not in our evolutionary DNA. So it's stupidly hard, but that is honestly the, it, it, it's why super is so stupidly valuable. It, the amount of money mm. we will have in super at retirement that we wouldn't have had had we waited to do it ourselves. Yeah, That that, that alone is enough to, to recommend the superannuation system because we just wouldn't do it ourselves left to our own devices. We know that we never used to. Other people in other countries don't. We're mm. lucky enough that the system exists to do it for us. So, um, yeah, informational, get yourself educated if you can. Behavioral, 
if you can just do nothing other than trust me, just commit to it, even though you can't see the point. Um, mm-hmm. Trust me when I say you will thank me or, or thank Damien later um, for hearing this message because um, the, the, the one or two of you right now that say, you know what, I'm going to start that today, your future self will thank you, I promise you. For sure. And speaking of the educational stuff, there's a, hmm. a movie called The Big Short. I don't yeah. know if you've seen The Big Short, but I in have, The Big I Short, they talk, they talk about how... Um, some of these investment people use all these acronyms and use these <laughs> fancy words to make yep. you feel like you couldn't do what they do. <laughs> Absolutely. And when I when I sort of started with my in getting into investing, thankfully I had a financial planner that helped me a lot. But there are a lot of things in investing that I like some of the words you just said, I just went straight mm-hmm. over my head. Cool. Uh, let's let's pull up. Yeah, for let's sure. Go. And so like I think that's another big barrier is I I've worked in businesses where acronyms are a Bible, <laughs> they're gospel. Everyone yep. uses them. Yep. Yep. So then you can tell who doesn't know what you're talking about. And it can uh-huh. be quite daunting to hear some of these acronyms or loan to value ratio, not loan to value. That's a mm-hmm. banking thing. You said one just before about a ratio. <laughs> Price, that earnings. I didn't. Price earnings ratio. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yep. maybe we can quickly break down a few of those. If there's a few Let's basic investment terms, if you're happy to sort of explain to me yeah. <laughs> and anyone listening. Absolutely, yeah. mate. Absolutely. So here's the thing, right? My industry sucks. Um, I'm okay saying that. I don't know if I'll ever have another job in any other company because I've badmouthed almost everybody in my industry. We, <laughs> as a, we, as a, we, as a, trust me, I, I might be asking your, member, your listeners for, uh, for a job. Um, my, my industry prides itself on making money from other people by making it seem like you can't do it yourself, right? Yeah. And The Motley Fool exists. Why I, I've, I've said before, and I don't just speak note myself, I took a massive pay cut to join The Motley Fool back in the day. And it was because I had been so dramatically helped by what The Fool did for me um, as, as an educational um, organization. Effectively, we, we make money by selling stock tips, right? But um, by helping us learn to invest better, uh, mm. That was, I, I, owe, I owe some people at the Motley Fool in the US a massive that, that debt of gratitude. So when we opened up here, I, I jumped at the chance to join. The reality of the, um, of the uh, our industry is, is that people want to, whether they believe it or not, whether they say it or not, they want to convince you you couldn't possibly do it yourself. And the Motley Fool exists to do exactly the reverse. And this is not me big noting the company. I'm just saying we literally, we, we, you know, we are investors writing for investors, right? Our job is to help you help understand what it is we do. Now, you may always need our help. You may not always need our help, but either way, um, you know, our job is to try and inform and educate people, not just, you know, try, try and <laughs> charge them a fortune. So let's go back to those, those terms. Price earnings ratio is a measure of the uh, attractiveness or otherwise of a company's share price. And it's kind of akin, it's not, the maths is different, but it's kind of like an interest rate. If I said to you, this, this uh, savings account is giving you a 2% bank interest, or this one's giving you 10%, you immediately go, okay, well, 10% more. Now, you might say to me, hang on, no one's paying 10%. That sounds risky. I'm going to check mm-hmm. that first. But it gives you a starting point for understanding the potential returns. So if we take price earnings ratio, the price is the share price. So let's say $10 a share. Keep it easy. And the earnings or the profit of a company expressed on a per share basis, because we're looking at the price per share. Yep. So you divide the company's profit by the number of shares and you get the earnings per share. So whatever that number is. And let's say this it's a million dollars of profit and there's a million shares to make my life easy. And so that means it's only $1 per share, right? A million dollars divided by a million shares, $1 per share. If the share price is $10, the price divided by the earnings ratio, which is what it is, is 10. 10 divided by one. So I'm paying $10 for a dollar of earnings. The PE is 10. Now, the lower that number is, all things being equal, and they're not, 
the more attractive a company would be to buy. So if I said to you, I've got a news agent, that news agent's earning $100,000 a year, and I'm going to sell it for $300,000, you're going to say, well, hang on, I'm, I'm getting like, you know, I'm paying $300,000, I'm getting $100,000 a year, That's I'm buying it for three years worth of earnings. Mm. That price earnings ratio is three, three times, 300,000 divided by 100,000. That's, that's the PE of the news agent. Now, if I said to you, I've got a news agent and it's doing $100,000 a year in profit, I'm going to sell it to you for $10 million. Go, hang on, that's 100 times earnings. I'm going to, I'm going to have to yeah, get profit 100 years to make that worth buying. A PE of 100, you're going to say, well, that's stupid. I'm not going to buy that. So mm. hopefully, I know we can't do this on paper and it's hard to do numbers in an audio format, yeah. but a PE of three, much cheaper than a PE of 100. And so okay. it's a it's a relative measure of the attractiveness of a company's share price by comparing right. that share price to its profitability. That's that's the very basic. Now yeah, you also yeah, have to okay. look forward because if I said next year profit's going to go to zero, then no price is cheap enough. If okay. I said next year profit's going to go to five million dollars, then you're going to say, well, actually maybe a hundred million dollars isn't too much to pay. It's now twenty times earnings rather than a hundred. Still expensive, right. but it's the future growth of that profit you need to focus on. But that's the basics of the of the price earnings ratio. Okay. Okay. Right. Last thing we'll, we'll talk about with the investing side of things. What would you say to young people listening? Uh, I'm trying to think of like the magic bullet phrase, the thing that you could say to people <laughs> like myself. Because for yep. me, for me, something happened when COVID hit. I was living overseas and I'd come home oh, for my right. best friend's wedding. COVID hit and I couldn't go back home oh, to man. Canada and I had yeah, no money right. in my bank account. So right. I had to live with my parents again after living on my own for like four years and it, it was bloody <laughs> awful. So I had, my decision was I need to get myself to a point where I don't need to worry about money anymore. How do I do that? Nice, nice. So I looked yep, into nice. investing. Is there something you can think or what would you say to young people who hopefully from what you say gets them mm-hmm. on the path of investing? Unless you want to work for a boss for the next 45 years, and even if you do, if you want to have the financial freedom to make the choice irrespective of your salary or without having to worry about um, the risk of leaving because what if I can't pay the mortgage? What if I can't pay the bills? What if I can't pay the school fees or whatever it is you're doing? Then the answer is to become financially uh, secure and then eventually have financial freedom Difference financial security being just, you know, being on, a, on an even keel. Financial freedom, I don't have to work unless I want to. Mm. You only get that by saving and investing. And you, can I say, mate, I, I'll say it with, with, a, with a laugh, I hate young people because you guys have the advantage that I don't have, which is age, right? If right. I could go back, I, w- I would give almost anything to go back 25 years and start again because I would save 10 times as much as I did in those first yeah. 10 years. I wouldn't have to work today. You know, and, and that, quite honestly, that's the difference. So if you want if you want financial freedom, if you want security, if you want choice in life, right? If you simply, and whether that's to look after your kids or the family or a charity or go traveling or splurge on a sports car, whatever you want to do, honestly, you, you've got to work hard because you've got to save hard. Mm-hmm. But the answer is absolutely in investing because nowhere else is, are you going to make money while you sleep? Nowhere else are you going to make money while you're playing golf on the weekend or out shopping on the weekend or having a barbecue with mates. Um, the dividend checks, the compound returns that you get. Um, can I? Can I? I'll, I'll go with one set of numbers, mate. I'm going to. I'm going to mm. say this is just some easy maths, right? Let's say you're 25, and it makes my my life easier. The the rule of 72 is a is a mathematical trick that says if you want to know how long it's going to take your money to double, divide your return and your return is 72. So let's keep it simple. If I earn six percent a year, 72 divided by six is 12. It's going to be 12 years. If I earn 
15% a year. So if you should buy by 15, it's about five. It's going to be five years to double my money, right? The average market return is 10% a year. So I'm going to double my money about every seven years. All right. Now there's six sevens in 42, which is why 25 to 67 at retirement makes my life easier. I know this is getting getting challenging, but let's just, just stick with me for a second. Mm. So let's say you got $1,000 at 25. Now let's double that six times, right? We go from $1,000 to 2,000 to 4,000 to 8,000, to 16,000, to 64,000, uh, what did I get to, 32? Hang on, <laughs> two, four, eight, 16, 32, $64,000 from $1,000 right now. If you can save $1,000 today or tomorrow or over the next three months, you'll have 64 grand when you retire. If you can do that every year for the next 10 years, you'll have more than $640,000 when you retire and so on and so forth. So the power of that, if you could probably say 10 grand, and have $640,000 40 years later, man, like that's, you know, 630 grand of that is free, literally free money for doing nothing other than leaving it the hell alone and waiting until mm. you retire. So you have the one thing that I don't have and I would kill for, which is time. I can't get that back. And you know what? As a stock picker, I can't do well enough to make back. I, I, can't, I can't get a return high enough to make up 20 years of missed opportunity. So yeah, you okay. guys, as young people, have the opportunity right now to do yourself, you'll do future you a favor. Trust me when I say that is the one thing I would literally, well, not literally, I would almost literally kill for is, is the time to go back 25 years and start again because, mate, I would be so much better off. And if someone like me had told someone like me when I was that age, pull your finger out, knucklehead, start saving. I know it feels like a long way away. I know you'd rather go on that trip overseas. I know you'd rather buy the handbag or the computer or the whatever. Please do me and you a favor. Save the money instead. Let time do the work. Okay. And that sort of draws into what the show's about, which is the advice. So we can sort of go to that. Um, Knowing what you know now, and you sort of (laughs) covered a bit of it now, knowing what you know now about finance, about the world, what advice would you give to your 24-year-old self knowing all of that? Good question. Um, First thing is start. Um, and again, the problem with giving that advice is even at 24, I don't know if I would have, I would have actually heard it. So that there's, okay. there's just that, that problem, psychological problem of I can yell it as much as I want. Some people are just not going to get it and that's okay. And it's not their fault. It's just evolution is, is a real bastard. Um, mm-hmm. So start. Second thing is don't get caught in the weeds. I thought I had to know everything about investing before I started. I had spreadsheets. And again, this is pre-internet. I, I called up companies. They sent me physical hard copies of their annual reports and I typed them all into Excel. And then I calculated 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 ratios of, you know, profit margins and growth margins and mm. cash conversion cycles and all this, all this jargon you don't need to worry about. And honestly, when it came down to it, the things that mattered were, is it a great business? Does it have a long-term opportunity to grow? Uh, is, is the price reasonable? Not even cheap, just reasonable. Um, if I could have done that, if I could have bought just the best businesses in Australia 25 years ago, that would have been enough. Um, rather than all the other stuff I, I, I bothered with. So don't let, and you made, this, you made this point before, Damien, don't let people complicate investing for you. Mm. You will, the, other, the last thing I'll say is you will make losses, right? So I say to everybody, some people join our services, pick one stock that we recommend. It goes down and they call us all names and, and cancel our membership, right? Now that's my fault for not being clear enough with them to help them understand. You are going to be wrong two, three, four, five, six times out of 10. That's okay. That's not failure. That's a feature, not a bug, as they say, right? That's just what's going to happen. Yeah. Because if you're right, you only need one Amazon. Or frankly, in Australian context, one CBA, if you bought CBA in 1985, and again, I know that's a very long time ago for many people, um, you could have, you know, one CSL, one Afterpay. You know, so, so I mean, Afterpay's up, what, 
for 40 times in value, mm-hmm. you could have lost everything on 38 other stocks and you'd still be ahead. And so I'm not saying you should go and just try and find speculative stocks. What I'm saying is yeah. the winners, if you get if you grab a few winners, you you, you withstand the losers, realize it's going to happen. That's the best advice I can give you. How can people get in touch, Scott? So full.com.au is our website. We publish a whole lot of free company coverage on that website. Um, you can join our free mailing list. I send out an email about two or three times a week. Fair warning, we also send a whole lot of marketing stuff. So if you join that mailing list, we don't we don't hide it by the way. We say that's what you're going to get. Right. But just know you're going to get it. So don't, I'm not going to, I don't want to, you know, trick anyone into thinking they're just going to get my emails. They'll get my emails plus a whole lot of marketing from us. They have some of the best deals on some of the services though. So if you are interested in joining a service, that's where you get the best price. So, you know, if you can, if you can stand the marketing onslaught. Um, if you're on socials, jump on um, for completely for free. Um, uh, the Motley Fool AU on Twitter and Insta. Uh, and the Motley Fool Australia on Facebook. I'm on Twitter and Insta at TMF Scott P. TMF being the Motley Fool, so TMF Scott P or Scott Phillips Money on Facebook. We got a podcast, Motley Fool Money. You can find that one. Your YouTube channel so there's heaps of free content. Um, mm-hmm. And if it makes some sense for you to join the Take Stock mailing list, you can find that on the Motley Fool homepage and join the mailing list there. Beautiful. I appreciate the time, Scott. That was great. I really appreciate it. Oh, good. Thank you. I mean, it was lots of fun talking to you. Great questions, mate. Yeah. Thank you.